Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Unlock Revelation. Tonight, our topic is signs of the end. What do you think about this guy? That was me back in 2008, looking out into the future, wondering where are we heading? And you know, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that way. There seems to be a real fascination with the things that are happening in the world today and how they're leading to the end of the world. But I want to start off by telling you that I find this topic to be one of those, well, you just can't win kind of topics. Because you're either way out on the fringe and you're considered a fanatic, or you're way out on the other end of the spectrum and you're just not in tune with what's going on. And so it's it's hard to find that right balance. But tonight we're going to talk about some things that I think are clearly pointing forward to some very climactic events that are about to happen in the very near future. But before we begin, why don't we bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Oh, loving Father, I thank You so much for everyone that's here tonight. And Lord, we are going to be looking at these signs of the end of time. And Lord, our prayer is that Your Holy Spirit would guide our hearts and minds. Because Lord, we want to know what we should be looking for. And Lord, we want to know what we need to be doing to prepare for Your coming. And so we pray Your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts. Move within this room, Lord. Guide each heart and mind is our prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, you talk to a lot of different people today, and they have a lot of different views. There are some people that that believe that we are going to be done in by some kind of a natural disaster, like a giant asteroid hitting the earth. And then there are other people that say, no, I think it's going to be global annihilation. And then you have other people that say, no, I think it's what the Bible calls the Battle of Armageddon like this November 1st, 1999 issue of Newsweek magazine indicates. Notice what it says in this article. Some 40% of U.S. adults believe the world will end as foretold in a battle of Armageddon between Jesus and the Antichrist. Did you know that? 40%. That's a pretty high number, isn't it? It also says in that article that one-third of adults in America believe that what they are seeing in the nightly news is a direct fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And two-thirds of Americans believe that the book of Revelation is for real. And so that's why we're having an event like this. We thought some people might come out to that. And look, here you are. Thank you. God bless you. And even the media is getting in on it. Here's a book by, uh, by uh, Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth that by 1970 sold over 35 million copies. And then there was the Left Behind series, and by 1990 that sold over 50 million copies. I think that number is more like 65 million now. And even Hollywood is getting in on it with movies like Armageddon and End of Days, And yet it seems difficult at times to take it all seriously. Because prophecy and doomsday seem to go hand in hand. 
like this picture of this guy on the front of Time magazine. Or this cartoon by Bill Watterson illustrates, these are snowmen prophet of doom. And usually the predicted doomsday comes and goes. Remember Y2K? Yeah, and then the messenger of doom joins the, the ranks of the religious fanatics. From, from the perspective of some people, there are folks who have always been talking about the end ever since the beginning. There's a columnist by the name of Mark Harden who noticed that apocalyptic warnings were, were rising after September 11th, 2001. And he wrote an article, and notice what he says. Such innocent consumers might fail to grasp that the world has always been doomed. One prophet or another has proclaimed everything from the bubonic plague to the dawning of the nuclear age as the beginning of the end. And then he shares an experience of when he was a 10-year-old boy in fear that he would never grow to be 11. And then he goes on to say, 45 years have passed since then, and humans still stand on the cusp. Inflamed preachers still tell the wayward, tonight could be the night. Well, that sounds like it, like it could be a very tempting argument. After all, we're still here, right? There have been many people that have claimed that these are the signs of the end, and yet life just keeps going on and on. But friends, is it possible that we could be writing off the signs too soon? In May 27th of 2002 issue of Time Magazine, we find a very interesting article related to September 11th, and it was about how the United States missed the clues. It discusses how we somehow missed the rather clear signs of impending danger before the events of September 11th. It talked about how in July of 2001, an FBI agent by the name of Kenneth Williams, an 11-year anti-terrorism expert, wrote a letter and sent it up the chain of command and, and recommended that they have an investigation to determine whether Al-Qaeda operatives were training at flight schools. But the memo that he sent up was ignored. Then it talks about how in August of 2001, Zacharias Massawi, known by the French government to be uh, an Islamic terrorist or, or extremist, was detained after a flight school in Minneapolis reported him as suspicious. Apparently, he wanted to learn how to fly jumbo jets, but he really wasn't interested in how to land. Yeah, well, the White House didn't find out about it. But later on, after September 11th, the president, George Bush, went on national television and said if we had had access to Massawi, if we had had access to the Phoenix memo, could we have broken up the plot? And then he answered his own question. He said, we would have taken action. And there is at least a distinct possibility that at the very least, we could have delayed it. Well, friends, I think it's very easy for us in hindsight to look and say, you know, I think somebody should have prevented 9-11. And I don't really know about that. But let me tell you what I do know. I do know that it is a part of human nature 
to ignore the signs. If nothing like this has ever happened before, nothing is going to happen in the future. Like the man who dies of a heart attack because he ignored the signs. Or the man who is shocked when his wife leaves him because he ignored the signs. Or like the woman whose motor burned up in her car because she ignored the signs. Sorry about mentioning that one, honey. (laughs) Friends, our lives are full of tragedies that could have been prevented if we would have only paid attention to the signs. And I wonder, could we be discounting the signs too soon? Well, that's my personal conviction. But notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 2. He said, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. You hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. Now, friends, I want to assure you that our purpose in having this seminar and specifically talking about this subject tonight is not to put fear in your heart. But if there is any legitimacy to those claims about the end, and if any warnings that would aid us in preparation for that time, and we simply ignore them, we would be foolish. But before we look to what the Bible signs are, I want to establish that it is not only wild-eyed fanatics that are saying that the end is near. I want to talk to you about two men who are highly educated, who are extremely respected and well-read. And notice what they say about the end of the world. The first one is a secular journalist by the name of Eugene Linden. He's an award-winning writer on science and nature and the environment. And he writes for Forbes magazine, Time magazine, the National Geographic, Reader's Digest, and many others. And he wrote a book called The Future in Plain Sight, The Rise of the True Believers and Other Clues to the Coming Instability. Notice what he calls it, the coming instability. And notice what he says in that book. He says, I enter into this book knowing full well that predicting the future is a fool's errand. It is not hard to collect countless examples of predictions gone awry. But someone has to pay attention. And then he goes on to give nine clues of this coming instability. He talks about the collapse of the global economy, migration of the poor to the cities, population explosion, global warming, economic disparity between the rich and the poor, collapse of the bio-ecosystem, water and food shortages, resurgence of resilience and infectious diseases, and radical fundamentalism in religion. Here is a secular author predicting the end of life as we know it simply from the obvious threats that are all around us. All he is saying is that logic and reason both lead to the conclusion that something catastrophic is eventually going to happen. And then there's Stephen Hawking's. 
Some people consider him to be the smartest man in the world. And I'd like to share with you a quote from a lecture that he gave in 1997 at Cambridge University. Now, Stephen Hawking is not an, uh, he's not an atheist. He's more of an agnostic or a deist. He, I think he believes that, that there is a God and He created the world, but then he kind of just walked away and let everything evolve. But notice what he said. I fear that since the evolutionary progress has worked through the dialectic of determinism and aggression, our long-term survival and any hope for our species is in question. However, if we can keep from destroying each other for the next hundred years, sufficient technology will have been developed to distribute humanity to various planets, and then no one tragedy or atrocity will eradicate us all at the same time. So there you have it. Some good advice from the smartest man in the world. Have hope in life on Mars. Have hope in another planet. Because there's no hope here. In an article in Washington Post on April 27, 2007, Hawking said this, Life on Earth is at an ever-increasing risk of being wiped out by a disaster such as sudden global warming, nuclear war, a genetically engineered virus, or other dangers. And then he went on to say, I think the human race has no future if it doesn't go into space. I therefore want to encourage public interest in space. And so there you have a little plug for Stephen Hawking's interest in space. And then there's the Bible. What does God's Word say about the end of the world. Well, that's what we want to focus on tonight. Notice in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it says, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants, things which must..." What's that word? "...shortly take place. And He sent and signified it by His angel to His servant John." Notice also in Revelation 22, verse 7, Jesus said, "...behold, I am coming..." What? "...I'm coming quickly..." Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then in Revelation 22, verse 12, he says, And behold, I'm coming what? Quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And then in that same chapter, verse 20, he says, He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming what? Quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But the obvious question from reading those texts is how short is shortly and how quick is quickly? After all, he said that 2,000 years ago, right? Well, I have to say for many people that these verses only embolden them to believe that the end will never come. And they just scoff at the idea of the return of Jesus Christ. But do you realize that in doing that, they are actually fulfilling Bible prophecy. Notice what Peter said in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. He says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter says there are going to be people at the end of time and say, What are you talking about? They've been talking about the end since the very beginning. Where is His coming? 
Everything is just as it has always gone. And so when you hear that kind of talk, just know that you are hearing Bible prophecy being fulfilled in your very ears. Now I want to show you something. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And if you have one of our seminar Bibles there on your table, that's going to be page 1143. But turn with me to Matthew 24. And I'd like you to notice what Jesus says starting in verse 45. Jesus said, Who then is a faithful and wise servant who his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware of. Jesus says that it is a wicked servant who says that my master has delayed his coming, or says, Where is the coming of my master? This kind of blind eye to the signs of the times is what Jesus predicted just a few verses earlier there in Matthew 24 in verse 37 through 39. He said, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now please notice that this is not saying that there's anything wrong with eating or drinking or marrying or giving in marriage. But it's merely saying that in the last days, that people are going to be so caught up in their personal interest to give any real thought to the sign of the times or to their eternal destiny. Notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 34 and 35. He warns us when He says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a what? As a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. It's going to come as a snare. And why? Because as a general rule, people are going to be ignoring the signs. They are going to be appeasing their conscience with the thought that things are just continuing on as they've always been. That people who have been talking about the end for years, and since it hasn't happened yet, it's probably not going to happen soon. And it will come as a snare. And it will catch people unprepared. And the book of Revelation gives this fearful description of those people who pay no attention to what is coming on the earth and what are the signs of His coming. Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 14 through 16, talking about the coming of Jesus. It says, Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains 
And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Those who did not heed the warning signs and who scoff at the thought of preparing for the coming of Jesus will be caught as a snare. And in their shame, they will ask the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of Jesus. Alas, the signs were there, but they ignored them. Friends, we cannot afford to ignore the signs. Revelation says again and again that Jesus is coming quickly. But to understand Revelation's use of the word quickly, we need to look at the signs of the end that Jesus gave to His disciples. In this passage that we're about to read, we are going to see Jesus talk about a variety of signs that are going to precede His return. He's going to talk about signs in the world of religion. He's going to talk about signs in the world of politics. He's going to talk about signs in the world of nature and signs in the world of society. And so I hope you have your Bibles still open to Matthew 24 there. If you don't, we're going to be on page 1141, but I'd like you to notice what it says in Matthew 24 in verse 1 and 2. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came up to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so the disciples come to Jesus, and they're pointing out the beauty of the architecture and the glamour of the temple there And that temple is this gorgeous temple that is the pride of Israel. And Jesus mentioned to them that not one stone would be left upon another. Put yourself in the place of those disciples for a moment. This was the glory of Israel. This was the temple of God. And if the temple of God was going to be destroyed, this must be the end of the world. And so notice what happens in verse 3. Now as He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of Your coming and of the end of the age. Mm. Jesus knew that in 70 A.D. that temple was going to be destroyed. But He also knew that they were talking about the end of the age because to them it was the same event. But knowing that it was two separate events, Jesus still masterfully blended those two events and actually gave a prophecy about the signs relating to the destruction of Jerusalem and at the same time, the signs that would be just before His coming. Notice what it says in verse 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in My name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And so the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk about signs in the world of religion. And one of the greatest signs is that false Christs and false prophets will rise at the end of time. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 20, verse 24. 
For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to what? To deceive. And so before the coming of Jesus Christ, we should expect an explosion of false religion. And friends, today we see an explosion in the interest of the occult and psychic phenomena. And that is exactly what Jesus was predicting. Notice what it says in the American Religious Identity Survey. In the United States during the last decade, the number of people who identify themselves as belonging to the New Age movement increased how much? 274%. That's huge. It goes on to say, the modern occult, Wiccan, pagan, and Druid religion is now listed among the ten largest organized religions in the country. Teens especially are attracted to these occult movements and outnumber older converts by three to one. How scary is that? The youth are the ones that are getting involved in the occult. And why? Because it's so attractive in the media. Books, magazines, and movies on the occult are selling by the millions. The occult is a cool thing now. Just ask Harry Potter. Here's a recent book called Angels of Deceit. And it outlines many of the religious deceptions that people are following today. And I'd like to give you just a few examples from that book. Anyone remember Jim Jones? Yeah, Jim Jones in the 1970s captured the attention of the world. He led 913 members of the People's Temple into a deception that would ultimately be a massacre, murder, suicide. But do you know what the interesting thing about that was? Right before that happened, he had been given awards by our government. Did you know that? Yeah, Walter Mondale then the Vice President of the United States at that time visited Jones's ministry and celebrated what a great civic leader he was. Video footage of the worship services showed people being uh, pushed down the aisle in wheelchairs and jumping up and claiming that they had been healed. There were people that had cancer that claimed that their tumors were gone. But then over 900 people followed Jones into the jungles of Guyana and poisoned themselves drinking Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. And they committed mass suicide. You see, friends, it's one thing to say that you have the truth. But it's another thing to lead people into a better understanding of the Bible. And then there was David Koresh. David had some pretty strange ideas about the book of Revelation. And the cult leader believed that he could take for himself spiritual wives as partners from the members of his cult. And you know what? Many of the people that followed him were sincere. But they were sincerely deceived and they followed him to the death. Many of you may remember the horror of the FBI agent's words as he shouted them over national television. And then in March of 1997, 39 members of Heaven's Gate cult committed mass suicide with their leader, Marshall Applewhite. Why would they do such a thing? Well, they believed that the Hale-Bopp comet that was passing by at that time had a flying saucer that was behind it 
and uh, it would take you to the next level, but the only way that you could get there is if you died. The leader of Heaven Gate cult, Marshall Applewhite, told his followers this, planet Earth is about to be recycled, and the only chance you have to survive is to leave with us. Of course, their leader deceived them with his counterfeit teachings and end-time events and substituting his word for the word of God. But do you know what the biggest tragedy of all in this was? When the police discovered the 39 bodies of those young members dead, they put out a public announcement on television and radio saying, if you don't know where your child is, and you think that they might be involved in a cult, please call us immediately. And in the very first moment of that announcement, their telephone lines were flooded with 1,500 calls from concerned parents thinking that their children might be involved in a cult. Isn't that tragic? I don't want to take away from the 39 people that lost their lives, but think about all of those parents who were saying, you know, my child's been acting kind of funny lately. Notice what it says according to the website cultclinic.org. An estimated 5 to 7 million Americans have been involved in cults or cult-like groups. The total number of these groups range from 3 to 5,000. There are approximately 180,000 new cult recruits every year. The facts confirm what Jesus said to be true. He said, beware of false Christ and false prophets. This is a sign of the end. Jesus predicts that just before the end, that false religious teachers would arise. And when we look at the extreme examples of mass suicide, we would conclude that we would never get caught up in a deception like that, wouldn't we? But here's the thing about deception, friends. We always think that it's the other guy. Oh, it's the Muslim over there that's confused. Oh, it's the guy on the corner that's deceived. But we never think that we might be the ones who are being deceived. But we need to remember this. Counterfeits are not always easy to recognize. No false prophet or pastor or teacher is going to pass out business cards that says, I'm a false prophet. They're not going to have signs hanging around their necks. And remember, too, that some of those false teachers that teach contrary to the Bible will be able to work unusual miracles and signs. So just because someone performs a miracle doesn't mean that it's from God. There can be another source behind those miracles. The Bible teaches that evil spirits will perform miracles through false teachers in the last days. Revelation chapter 16 verse 14 says, For they are spirits of demons doing what? Performing signs. So friends, beware of trusting someone just because they see evidence of supernatural healings and miracles. These can be performed by the powers of darkness. And I say can, but what I really mean is will. And so my advice to you is to study your Bible. 
And be aware of any religious teacher who leads you away from the Bible. But we also need to remember something else. A person doesn't need to lead you away from the Bible to deceive you. All they've got to do is twist the Word of God and make you believe something that it's not saying. And I believe that even within mainstream Christianity, that there are many popular beliefs today that are just calculated to deceive you. And we're going to talk about some of those uh, during this seminar. Let me see your hands. How many of you have ever seen a counterfeit $13 bill? Nobody? No, there's a reason for that. Because there's no original $13 bill. Counterfeiters are going to count $5, $10, $20, $100 bills. Because the closer that you get to the original, the more credible the counterfeit appears. I believe that the deceptions that are going on even today are going to be so close to the truth of the Bible that they will appear to be the truth even when they're not. That's what the Bible says. Notice Revelation chapter 13, verse 14 and 16. And He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which He was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Friends, Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5. Take heed that no one deceives you. Now friends, I'm not trying to scare you. But you need to know that deception in these last days is more common than truth. Even so, I don't believe that any of us has to be deceived. Because if we search through the Scriptures and we pray and we have a willingness to follow the truth as God leads it to us, Jesus promised us that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. But the incredible rise in religious fanaticism, cult groups and false revivals and occult practices are fulfillments of the outlook Jesus gave of the world of religion at the end of time. And then Jesus moves to the area of the world of politics. And notice what he says in Matthew 24, verse 6. He says, You will hear of wars, notice that's plural, and rumors of wars, plural. Now, I know there might be somebody here that's thinking, but haven't we always had wars throughout our history? So if we have conflict throughout the centuries, then how can that be a sign of the end of the world? I'd like you to notice carefully what Jesus said. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Jesus predicted just before the end of the world that there would be international conflicts on a global scale. In other words, there would be world wars. In fact, Jesus didn't say that there would be a single war. He said in Matthew chapter 
24 verse 7, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Jesus was predicting not a single war, but a world engulfed in war. And friends, after September 11th, 2001, everything changed. You want to know why? Because when the United States was attacked, it wasn't the United States going against another country, but we built a coalition of countries. And we had countries going against countries. Don't forget, the 20th century, we had World War I and World War II. And now, having launched into the 21st century, we can look back on the 20th century as the bloodiest century of all. One sociologist estimated that in the 20th century, there were over 180 million deaths from war alone. Jesus didn't say that there would be a war. But just before His return, there would be an eruption of international conflicts around the world. Nation rising against nation. And I ask you tonight, outside of this, do we not see that the 20th and the 21st centuries have been full of major international conflicts? And what about the Vietnam War? The Korean War, the Indochina conflict, the Iran-Iraq War, Middle East conflicts, tribal wars in Africa, and the latest and most unpredictable war of all, the war against international terror. It was in the 20th century that we developed the ability to totally destroy the earth. With the dropping of the little boy on Hiroshima and the fat man on Nagasaki, the 20th century introduced the power of nuclear weaponry. And for the first time in history, there was the potential for mankind to destroy itself. And with more and more nations toying with nuclear weapons... The threats just keep going up. All we got to do is look in the news today and what's going on between the United States and North Korea. A number of years ago, an American newspaper columnist by the name of Walter Lippmann said this, Poised on the brink of the most calamitous conflict that can be imagined, indeed it cannot even be imagined. He's talking about the threat of nuclear war. And then notice what William Ripley of Ripley's Believe It or Not said years ago back in 1945. He said, I'm standing on the place where the end of the world began. You see, the escalating conflicts and wars have produced another fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Speaking of the end time, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 21, verse 26. Men's hearts failing them from what? from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Notice what's happening as Jesus is describing this. Fear is created by instability. And so the more unstable that things appear, the more fear there is, and the closer we are to the coming of Jesus. This is why I don't think stability is going to get any better. I think it's only going to get worse. But after warning us of signs in the world of religion and in the world of politics, 
Jesus turned to signs in the world of nature. Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, he says, There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Notice there that he doesn't use the word famine, but he says famines. And I believe that here he is talking about a hunger of such widespread nature that only the coming of Jesus is going to help. The United Nations reports that 38 major countries suffer from food shortages. One-sixth of the world population suffers from chronic hunger. One-sixth. 10,000 people per day. That's 3.5 million people per year that die of starvation. Friends, look. We should do everything that we can to help feed the hungry. But we are not going to fix this problem. This problem is a sign of the times. And it is only going to get worse as we come closer to the approaching of the coming of Jesus. Because as population explosion continues, and as agricultural land becomes less and less available, it is going to get worse and worse when it comes to famines. And you know, I hadn't even planned on talking to you about what they're doing to manipulate our food supply. I hadn't even planned on talking about GMOs. Genetically modified organisms. But they are manipulating the food that we are eating and it is killing us. But he also said there would be pestilences. A pestilence is a strange disease which afflicts human beings, crops, and the environment. Such as strains of diseases that are resistant to antibiotics which are happening more and more. New diseases without any cure. Mad cow disease, AIDS, malaria, bird flu, tuberculosis, Ebola viruses, SARS, West Nile virus. I even heard the other day scarlet fever is back. But the environment is being affected as well. 2.4 billion pounds of toxic pollutions causes an estimated 50 to 120,000 premature deaths every year. We have pollution in our air, in our water, and in our land. Recently, 104 Nobel Prize winning scientists, plus more than 1,500 prominent international scientists, signed a document entitled Warning to Humanity. And notice what they say. No more than one or a few decades remain before the chance to avert the new threats we now confront will be lost and the prospects of humanity immeasurably diminished. Notice what Jesus said. There will be famines, pestilences, and what? Earthquakes. 6,000 major earthquakes happen each year. Did you catch what I said? Major earthquakes. According to the United States Geological Survey, more than 3 million earthquakes happen every year. And the number just keeps going up. But in connection with the prediction of natural disasters, Jesus uses these words in Luke chapter 21, verse 25. The sea and the waves roaring, which brings an earthquake to the sea, otherwise known as a tsunami. 
The Asian tsunami in 2004 left 220,000 people dead. Friends, that is unprecedented. The 2011 tsunami in Japan left 28,000 dead and missing. And we're still dealing with the difficulties of the nuclear reactor that was affected by that tsunami. And then there was Hurricane Katrina, the costliest storm in history, with over 1,800 people dead and over $86 million in damages. In 2005, we experienced the most active hurricane season in recorded history. What can we say? Our weather is out of control. Hurricanes, tornadoes, wildfires, floods, droughts, you name it. In 2012, Hurricane Sandy left thousands dead and millions without power and damages in the billions of dollars. And that's not even mentioning what just happened in the last two weeks. Right? Hurricane Irma was 378 miles wide and it was at the peak of its intensity when it made landfall and tore into the 62 square mile island of Berbuda on the night of September 5th. The U.S. ambassador to Barbuda, Ronald Sanders, described Irma as the most ferocious, cruel, and merciless storm in the history of the islands. And today, friends, that island is totally uninhabitable. And then just a couple of weeks later, the island of Puerto Rico was destroyed by Hurricane Maria. It made landfall there as a Category 4 storm on Wednesday morning, September the 19th. Now, I know what you're saying. Pastor, haven't we always had war and famines and disease and natural disasters? But notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 8. All of these are the beginning of what? Of sorrows. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in the original Greek text... That word sorrows literally means birth pains. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Now I want to use a word that we may be a little more familiar with when it comes to birth pains. And that word is contractions. Now what do you know about contractions? Well, I know you ladies know, right? But what happens when you are about to deliver? The closer that you get to the delivery, the closer the pains get together, and they increase in intensity. And friends, that is exactly what is happening today. The storms, the pestilence, all of the things that are happening in the world are pressing together, and they are increasing in intensity. Don't think that this isn't a sign. Yes, they've been around forever, but they have never been like this before. These are the beginning of sorrows. And then Jesus turns to signs in the world of society. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. If you're still in Matthew, just go to the right through Mark and then you're into Luke. That's going to be page 1207 of your seminar Bible. Luke chapter 17. And I'd like you to notice what Jesus says in verse 26. 
He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Jesus compares what it was like in the days of Noah, and He says it's going to be just like that just prior to the coming of the Son of Man. Remember what we read earlier, that they would be eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building and marrying and giving in marriage. What this is really saying is that people are just going on with business as usual. Just kind of ignoring the signs. Just kind of walking along like this guy with his MP3 player in his hand, not realizing that there's a great big hole in the ground. We might laugh at that, but that is exactly what people are doing. They're just not paying attention. They're going on with their lives, still having dreams of that retirement income going back up, still having those plans of that vacation that they're going to take next year. They're still thinking temporally and haven't started thinking eternally and are ignoring the signs altogether. Jesus said that it was going to happen. He said it was going to come as a snare. The Bible is pointing at a time when people are so consumed with their temporal lives that they never stop to think about the implications of their decisions that they make each day. Now let's talk about buying for a minute. There's a lot of buying and selling that has been going on over the last several years. In fact, in the in 2015, the U.S. national debt was $18.2 trillion. This is going up so fast I can't even keep up with it on my slides. I looked at it yesterday and we are now over $20 trillion in debt. The U.S. total debt, that would be uh, national debt plus consumer debt in 2015, was $57 trillion. That equates to a private sector debt of $142,739 per household. That's what it would take for us to get rid of our debt. So if you just want to get out your checkbooks and write a check, we'll get rid of this debt problem. Right? Out of that $57 trillion dollars, 47 of it has accrued since 1990. The Bible says that the borrower is servant to the lender. You know what debt is. It's modern day slavery. And if any of you are under the weight of it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It weighs on you. You think about it all of the time. You can't get it off of your back. And you think you're never going to get out from under it. There's no hope in sight. And the Bible seems to indicate that at the end of time, money could lose its value overnight. Notice what James says in chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. Your riches are corrupted and your garments moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. He goes on to say, you have fattened yourselves for the slaughter. You have heaped all of this up and basically it's all going to be taken away. 
In Revelation chapter 18, verse 7, it says, In one hour such great riches come to nothing. The merchants would no longer trade. Friends, I am concerned, I am convinced that the worldwide debt problem, and I'm not talking about just American debt, but the worldwide debt problem is out of control. There is no way out but the coming of Jesus. And where financial strain exists, corruption follows. Jesus described moral corruption as yet another sign of His coming. He says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We can look at statistics today. We can see that the divorce rate is going up. The morality is going down. <clears throat> Today's family is not what it used to be. We don't pray together anymore. Our children are in many cases raising themselves on the television or the internet. And as a result, morality is simply out of style. Notice what the World Health Organization said in 2012. Each year, more than 1.6 million people worldwide lose their lives to violence. Do you think this is something that has been around forever? No, this is a sign of the times. This is very recent that we have had this kind of problem. And I think it's directly related to the signs of the times. Let me give you something here that I think is kind of funny. Notice what the top seven high school disciplinary problems were in 1940. Talking out of turn, chewing gum in class, making noise, running in the hall, dress code infractions, littering. Just 50 years later, in 1990, look what the seven highest disciplinary problems are. Drug use, alcohol abuse, pregnancy, suicide, rape, robbery, assault. Talking out of turn, chewing gum in class, running down the hall, to this. In the course of history, 50 years, we're talking about the last minute of an hour. We're talking about recent history here that this has changed. Everything is getting pressed together. The frequency and the intensity are the signs that are only getting worse. And then I'd like to show you a verse in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. It's a very interesting verse. Notice what it says. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall what? Increase. Now I think that I'd like to point out to you here that I think Daniel is talking about two types of knowledge. There's knowledge in the sciences, and then there's knowledge of the prophecies. And I think that he's talking about both. And if you look at when knowledge has increased... Everything that we know as far as conveniences has been developed in the last 50 or 60 years. Many things just within the last 10 to 15 years. You start talking to your children about what it was like when you were a child. And you'll discover real quick 
that things have changed in a very short period of time. Knowledge is increasing. And then the last sign that we're going to talk about tonight is the fact that the gospel has to go to all of the world. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all of the nations. And then what? And then the end will come. So here's a little bit of an ulterior motive. We're having this seminar because we want to see Jesus come. Amen? And until the gospel goes until all the world, He's not going to come. And the interesting thing about this is the same things that are causing an increase in immorality, television, the internet, Facebook, all of the things of technology, those same things are being used to bring the gospel into places that we could never get it before. One of the big events that happened was the fall of communism. It opened the way for the gospel to go to places that it could never go before. These things have always been. But the intensity and the frequency are warning us to get ready. There is no way out but the coming of Jesus. Religious deceptions, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, natural disasters, violence, economic uncertainty. It's not that they've never been before. It's that they've never been like this before. And I have to tell you, when you look at these things and you look at radical nations and terrorism, I don't think there's any way out but the coming of Jesus. You talk about worldwide hunger. I don't think there's any way out but the coming of Jesus. The AIDS epidemic, global warming, natural disasters, economic crisis. There's no way out but the coming of Jesus. But the footsteps of Jesus are written all over these things. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 32 and 33. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also. When you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Do you think that Jesus wants to be looking at these signs? Do you think that He wants us to be thinking about His coming that it's near? Do you think that He specifically warns us to be careful and to look? Because if we don't look, it's going to come as a snare. Friends, Jesus is coming. I want to end today by telling you a story about a man by the name of Harry Truman. And I'm not talking about the former President of the United States. But there was another Harry Truman that lived the majority of his life on Mount St. Helen. And there had been many times that that mountain had shook and quaked, but nothing substantial happened. Irrespective of the storms that had assaulted his domain, he had always been able to weather the storm. But then one day the authorities insisted on his evacuation. And again, Mr. Truman refused. He did not believe 
the admonitions that were given him. And defying all of the warnings, he settled in for the worst, thinking this too will pass. And then it happened. With the power of several atomic bombs, the top blew off of Mount St. Helens, spreading ash for hundreds of miles. The mountain top disappeared along with Harry Truman. You see, friends, there are a lot of Harry and Marys in the world today who despite all of the signs linger in indecisiveness. Yes, they say, there have been these storms, earthquakes and wars, but all of these things continue as they always have. Oh, friends, soon Jesus will be here. And how will we be found? Will we be found among those who believe and have prepared for that time by heeding the warnings? Or are we going to be among those who have ignored the signs? What do you think? Hmm? Will you be among those who are taken by surprise? Or will you be one of those who is preparing? Are you one of those who is willing to rise to your feet and say, Lord, I want to be ready for your coming? Is that you? Does that describe you today? If it is, why don't you stand with me now and let's pray. Father in heaven, you see everyone here rising to their feet. Lord, we're making a statement. We're making it to you and we're making it to each other. Lord, we want to be ready for the coming of Jesus. We see the signs of the times, Lord. They are increasing in intensity and frequency and it is getting close. Lord, we want to be ready. And so our prayer is that You would prepare us. Convict us, Lord, of the things that we need to do. Convict us of those things we need to stop doing. And Lord, help us to get ready for that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.